Hello, I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. Welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today, a show about emerging technology and trends in mobility with leaders and innovators who make it all happen. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to be joined by Alba Colon, Director of Technical Partnerships, Hendrick Motorsports, the winner of the SAE Award for Technical and Leadership Excellence honoring Rodika Baronescu. Alba shares her unique perspectives on the world of motorsports. We hope you enjoy this episode. Alba, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here and thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you here because plain and simple, giving back matters. You give back a lot, you do a lot of good, and you have a lot of inspiration for a lot of young engineers out there. Before you became a successful engineer growing up, you wanted to be an astronaut. I think that's really, really cool. What was the inspiration for that? Absolutely. My parents were calling me a little bit that I was crazy for, for having these big <laughs> dreams, but at the same time, they were supporting me. I wanted to be the first uh, Puerto Rican female astronaut. I had a poster of Sally Wright, and I was following the career of Sally Wright, the first uh, American astronaut to go to space, and I just wanted to, to do that do that. And that was what I decided to become a mechanical engineer. And I went to the University of Puerto Rico, Mayagüez, to do that. That's how the story started. You grew up in Puerto Rico. You have beautiful skies down there without a lot of pollution. Would you just sit there and stare at the sky and, and wonder what if, what's possible? Absolutely. It was more at, at nighttime, the stars, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> to be honest with you. And the university also had, you know, a, a big telescope that you could go and see the the stars and so on. For some reason, I don't know why astronomy was a was an inspiration. I don't have anybody in the family that is related uh, with this, but I know that my father, you know, he loved the stars and, and look at the stars and trying to, to figure out which ones are. But it was always that curiosity about what else what else is out there. What else is out there, reading all these stories and so on. And that was something that I just was very passionate about it. And that was what really inspired me to, like I said, to go and study engineering. There was nothing else. I did not grow up with another examples about engineers. I had examples of STEM careers, especially with, with my dad and math and science, how important it is and so on. But no engineers in the family or anybody that I knew. I will be honest, the first engineer that I really saw in person was when I was getting to the university, somebody came to the high school to do um, a little talk about, you know, engineers and especially mechanical engineers. And that was really the first engineer that I remember that I, that I met. But for me, it was about a mission. I know what I wanted to be at the end. So I chose, okay, this is what I have to do to get to the next step. So that's how engineering became to be for me. Was that talk a very inspirational focal point to where you got today? Did you spend time with that individual, talk to that individual, learn something, or did that individual say something, just it all clicked in your head with the astronomy background, say, wait a second, I could do something really cool here. Was there that aha moment? To be honest with you, no. I think that the aha moment came more to be when I was at university and I switched to the to the cars and to the racing, to the racing deal. For me, that aha moment came when I when I went to my first Formula SAE competition that it was in 1991. Oh boy, 
I hate to admit that, okay? <laughs> but uh, that competition was at General Motors in Michigan. My first time in Michigan, my first time really looking at this car. And when I saw that Corvette, when I saw there was the EV1 that I was there and all the other beautiful cars that were going on, and other students realizing that they wanted to do the same, that for me was like, wow, this is so cool. This is what perhaps I would like to do someday. So I, I think that that experience to get out of my country and to see something else, you know, it really helped me. And like, wow, there's something else, you know, I can go and do this. When you were at the University of Puerto Rico, you worked on the solar car challenge. Solar technology has come a long way since since then, would just say a, lo- a long way. What was what was that like? It, it seems like, you, and then you would have to roll your sleeves up and figure everything out as you kind of go because the solar technology hasn't evolved then to where it is today. Yeah, no, absolutely. So at the University of Puerto Rico, Maya, was we were chosen as one of the. If I am not wrong, it was one of the thirty-two universities chosen to participate in nineteen ninety at the Sun Rays race here in the United States from Daytona to Indianapolis. And I was now a first part of the team. There was other other groups, you know, from the electrical department, mechanical, many other groups that participated in this, but closer to the end and getting ready to come to United States, they needed some help with the array of the solar cells. And I will be honest with you, I got in the project because I had a B plus in one class and a professor, they were looking for volunteers to really help with, to finish this project. And after some convincing, I said, you know what, for an A, I would do anything. So I started <laughs> to work on that, on that project. An interesting part also was, it, it took some time. I remember that was like around a, a month to work on this. And you know, I grew up in, you know, very close to the university, a couple of miles from my university. So I, you know, it was easier for me to go to the university and spend hours working, you know, making sure these solar cells were getting in the, in the array for that solar car. So I spent all these weeks doing, doing that. And part of the first part of my summer before the car was completed and the car went to a competition in the United States. Nice. Think about this from a historical perspective of, of where your race are going to go. Daytona, iconic race, the Daytona 500. Then you go to Indianapolis, home, home of the Indy 500. I know different types of vehicles, but for the for the American race fan or the international race fan, those are two iconic must-watch races. Well, let, let's fast forward years because for more than two decades, you were at GM where you served as the NASCAR Cup Series Program Manager for Chevy from 2001-2017. Under your leadership, which is amazing, Chevrolet was the most dominant manufacturer in the NASCAR Cup Series, amassing 286 race wins, wow, 12 driver championships, and 14 manufacturer titles. Wow, wow, wow. What was that experience like? Are you just drinking from the fire hose the whole time and trying to say, okay, we got to keep this going, we got to keep this going? <laughs> I, I will tell you one thing. Um, racing, racing is amazing. Racing is very uh, rewarding. But you, you have to be in the sport to understand everything that you have to do, just to pretty much to be to be the best. And uh, the NASCAR series have 38 races a year. So think about it. How many weekends do we have in a year? Let's say 52, right? And 38 or 52, <laughs> has, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time aside of what we call the off-season preparation. 
And so, and let's be honest, those statistics sound fantastic, but it, it requires a lot of people and the concept of team to make all these championships drivers and also manufacturers because it's a big deal for General Motors and for the other companies to, to win this manufacturing championship. It requires many hours and, and many people that are committed and going in the same direction, in the same direction for a goal at the end. And the interesting part, I will be honest, and I'm talking from personal experiences, I remember having to those, you know, those final races, you get the championships, you celebrate like, 24 hours, like, oh my God, this is fantastic. You are in the high. But immediately, at least for me, you start to switch your mind about, okay, what do we need to do to do this again the, the next year? Because I really believe that it's very difficult to get to the, to the top, but when you are in the top, it's more difficult <laughs> to stay at the top. So um, the experience has been fantastic, was, was amazing, um, but every little person every single person help to make this thing happen it's a team effort years ago i was a guest of nascar at the sonoma raceway and i got to walk through everything and nascar was very kind to show me everything and we were dove into a technical as aspect and they were showing me how they would get the the internet uh to where uh the crew was and all the complexities that went into that and then getting the data off of the vehicles in real time it was this fascinatingly complex supply chain. No, it's not really a supply chain, but it's massively complex. Everything that goes in, when, when the car goes, everything has to, to work. How do you ensure that all the moving parts are all working together, going the same direction? Because there's no, and from at least what I experienced from NASCAR, same there was zero room for error if you want to get to the top and then remain at the top. We all have to be very synchronized, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I call it like a circus, yeah, a, a well-synchronized circus and ballet. Think about it. Think about it when, you, you know, everybody has to be to, to do their job, to make sure that they do it right and, and to make sure, you know, wh where they are supposed to be for, for, every, for every little thing. And if you allow me, let me give you a little bit of an example. In the past, when I started the sport, there used to be, like two hours of practices and, and qualifying. And no, to, to be honest with you, there were like three hours of practicing and qualifying. Now it's only 20 minutes of practices and we go to qualifying. So imagine everything that you used to do with the car in three hours, you're pretty much, you, you have to figure out what you need to do in those, <clears throat> in those 20 minutes. And you mentioned about the, the internet and, and so on. In the past, some years ago, there was no all this data coming from NASCAR that now comes to the teams. But now, with, you know, with amazing power of the internet and everything else that you are using, uh, from the track, we get all this mass of data that comes to the shop and also directly to the teams on the track. And it's about analyzing and, and so on. You start to think about, in the past, we didn't need to bring IT, the IT you know, the team to the track to help us. Now, now you need the best IT person <laughs> that you have to help you to make sure that that data is working at, at all times. So for me, it has been very fascinating to see how the sport has, has grown, how technology is being implemented in, in the sport. And, and I wish everybody that is, that is watching this podcast, everybody had an opportunity to come to the track to see Sadly, 
what it takes to put a car at the track and everything else that goes with that. Everybody sees the, the car, everybody sees the driver, but there's a lot of things and a lot of pieces that have to be moving in the right direction to make sure that that car can win every Sunday. It, it takes a village, or in some cases, it seems like it takes a city. Yes, um, it does. To win on race day. <laughs> it does. You're right. I've been very fortunate. I was a guest of NASCAR, and that was eye-opening to me. I've been a guest of, of Formula One. That was also eye-opening. I've, I've been very fortunate to have these behind-the-scenes tours and really standing for our listeners that are curious. I would highly recommend just attend or learn. It's just general curiosity. You are going to learn something. You mentioned that the practice time, two hours, three hours, now down to 20 minutes. Are you having to then go into simulation and simulate different scenarios because your practice time is so short, so short and is are you using digital tools to try and augment for that short amount of time? Yes and yes. It's a response to all of that that you just mentioned. But <laughs> no, I let me give you a little bit of more, more explanation than that. I know that you are looking for, for more than that. Okay, so a couple of things. Um, in the past, like I said, three hours of practice qualifying. Also, the part that perhaps you didn't see was that the teams had an opportunity to go and test as many times as they wanted. So when you are in, a, in, in big teams, and like fortunately, like Hendrick Motorsports, but other, other teams, pretty much you had a whole team that was just for testing and making sure that every week, you had an opportunity to try different things at the track. Another thing, and I don't think that many people know this, but a difference of Formula One or IndyCar or drag racing and so on, we do not have data acquisition systems in the car during the race weekends. We can do that during test sessions, but not during the race weekend. So pretty much all the data was what you were getting during the week on those test sessions. But NASCAR came, you know, in, in the sake of making the sport more equal, right? And also making the, the sport more affordable. They pretty much cut all those test sessions. Now we have fewer test sessions and they are limited on who can go, perhaps one car per OEM and not all the cars for, you know, for each OEM, you know, for a specific OEM. With that, with that said, now you need to rely a lot in computers. You need to do, like you mentioned, the simulation. Pretty much, you you know, you you also review past data, because we repeat many of the tracks, of course, every year that we that we go. But think about it: since two years ago, um, since last year, better said, we have a brand new car. So all the data that we knew from the past, now we need to pretty much how does that apply to the new car, but also applies to, to the track, plus working all of that in a simulation. So we have many, many hours of simulation. And also in the simulator, we have the simulators. Uh, there are some that are in the race teams, the static ones, but the ones that are the, what we call the driver in the loops that many Formula One teams have. Those simulators are with the OEMs. And we spend a lot of time with the driver trying, let's say, Hey, if I make these changes in the in the springs and in the chassis and in the dampers, how does that react? How does that drive the car? So now we are spending more time on those computers than at the track, but just to get the results to be able to make sure that when we get to the track and we only have those 20 minutes, we pretty much know how the car is going to work 
really good because think about it, in 20 minutes, you only have two or three chances to make a quick change. So in summary, computers are the ones that have become as a saviors to help us to be fast at the track. The world's greatest drivers have a lot of things in common, but one of the common traits is feel. You adjust the, the springs, you adjust it. They, they can feel it. They, they know it. it's in their DNA, it's in their body. Now as we go to a digital world, how do they feel that in the, in, in the simulator? That's a very good question, but let me tell you two quick things here. You know that we always used to say that Dale Earnhardt used to see air. Yeah, he knew in some way where his car needed to go to make sure that he could go faster. That was one. Second of all, I, and I, you know, perhaps this is more a question than anything else, but we have one of our drivers, William Barron, that pretty, uh, is, he's leading the points as of right now. He learned to drive when he was 15 years old and he learned to drive in a simulator. It's not the examples like a Jeff Gordon, that he was a four or five years old doing go-karts, right? And he became such a, such a great driver. So how do you explain that the drivers now are a little bit different and that some drivers really need to have that feel when another drivers have been getting that feel. And this is why all these, all these computers and iRacing and simulators are getting much better because they are getting those feels in a computer. So two different generations of drivers, but I, I listened to, of course, to, to William Barron in the weekends and to all the other drivers, and they pretty much have developed that whole thing of knowing, hey, my car is too loose, my car is too tight, I don't have grip when I go, you know, when I go in this section of the track. So imagine, I, for me it's fascinating, imagine how great all these computers are getting that can help you to feel that. It's interesting if you look at all sports, not just not just NASCAR or driving sports. They're all going very analytical, very very data driven. That's across the board in all sports, especially baseball is a really great analytical example. There, you could and I could make a very good argument where the driver that you mentioned, learning on a simulator instead of a, a box a box to a go kart, could be a better driver because he's he's more in tune or she's more in tune with that technology. Long term, that could give a really interesting competitive advantage. And the question is, does that spark a trend where you have younger drivers that are coming up or children that are interested in it? Perhaps they start on a PlayStation 5 and they put on a virtual reality headset. And I've seen some really interesting YouTube videos of people really into it. They put fans in front of them when they're they're driving an old classic car in Forenza 5. Okay, that's really interesting. Perhaps then they can graduate from from that setup in their home uh, to a, a simulator, and maybe they become better drivers. Maybe that's where history is going to take us. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how it evolves. But at the end of the day, driving is a skill. Whether you learn it in a simulator, you learn it in a track, you learn it in the backwoods of North Carolina, it is a skill. And it's a skill that's not going to be replaceable. But in order for these drivers to succeed, you need engineers. You need to understand the technology. You're the director of technical partnerships at, at Hendrix Motorsports, one of the most successful racing teams in history. What do you look for in technical partnerships? Are you looking at the digital world? Are you looking at the physical world? Are you looking at everything technical that can make your driver succeed on race day? It's all of the above. <laughs> it's, it's all of the above. Uh, um, 
It's all of the above. So we had different we, we had different people here and, and there's a big group that works on on the technical side. There are some people that work on you know, what do we need to do in the car, let's say aero-wise? What do we need to do vehicle engineering-wise? What parts do we need to build for the car to make it better? And there is an, another group, and this is one of the parts that I do that, that fascinates, fascinates me. How do we analyze data? And let me answer that question to you with, with, with something that perhaps not too many people know about it. Some years ago, NASCAR went and reduced the number of people that could go to the track from the team perspective. Let me explain that. You had a really big team and perhaps we could send every engineer from the company <laughs> to the track, but you have the smaller team that only had perhaps two or three engineers, let's say. And, and how do you compete? And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but let's say 50 engineers against two engineers. So NASCAR came with, with a rule, with a rule that they were going to limit the, the roster size of how many people can come per car. Of course, after that, we had COVID and that number got reduced more and percent. So with that said, and think about it, if you, if NASCAR gives you, and, and this is a hypothetical number, but if NASCAR tells you, oh, okay, you can only have six people that set up your driver crew chief to be working in the car, are you going to bring six engineers or are you going to bring mechanics, the engine tuner, now we're having the, the, the idea of only one engineer per car number goes and the rest are the mechanics. So what, what have we done? We have created what we call a team operations centers or command centers. And by the way, Formula One teams, NASCAR teams, IndyCar teams, now they are going in that way. With technology and like you mentioned with the internet and so on, when you went to the track, now we can receive data from the track. We can talk to our teams here from the from the shop from the shop also. The only thing that you don't get is the sound, <laughs> the smells and so on. But pretty much with all the cameras and everything that NASCAR has done, you can see everything going on at the track from here. And now we can have from here as many people as is needed to evaluate and provide feedback to the track. And several years ago, you would have never thought about that. So some of the things that we do is to find partners that can help us to develop tools and to make us to make us better. Because not not always, you know. And and, and I believe I believe in in the comps that you know it, it takes a whole team, and the team doesn't have to be the people hired directly by Hendrick Motorsports. But there are so many resources out there in the world. Get the best resources to help you. Get the best partners to help you to go and win the races and championships. So look how much the world has changed and how racing has changed. If you, it's a great example. And I'm really curious. Let's say you're in North Carolina and then the race that race, race week into the Las Vegas Motor Speedway or the, or the Fontana Motor Speedway in California and Nevada. That's, let's just do simple math. Let's just say 3,000 miles. Type of thing is 2,899 miles to be exact, but let's just say 3,000 miles to to keep it simple. You you look at quants. I have a lot of friends that are high speed traders in quants, and it's speed, 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 latency. When you're going from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange to New York or New Jersey, it's all about speed and latency because they need that data in real time to get the trade done. You're at the track. What role do your technical partnerships play in reducing latency, where you're getting that data back at headquarters in basically real time without that, 
without that delay. Are you looking at those type of partnerships to eliminate the latency issues? Yes, we, we, we work on all of that. When we talk about partnership, think about everything that the team is doing. Everything. It can be everything. It can be from building a part better. It can be from, you just mentioned more, that is what we call an IT an IT situation, right? You're working on, we, we do that, uh, developing tools, even the airplanes, even the airplanes, you know, getting, getting the white airplane, getting the white equipment to the track. So we are looking at all of that. But let me give you a, a quick a quick example, uh, radio, the radio communication, right? If you hear the radio communication in one way, it can be seriously like up seven, eight seconds, you know, delay for you to hear what was said. And on TV, there's a delay also. And there's another ways that, of course, I'm not going to talk here, right? <laughs> where you pretty much, it takes one second to, to hear from what was said to where it gets to you. But all of that, he said, you know, all of that is uh, pretty much the right partners and, and, and to find how you get all this information as quick as possible. And again, that latency can happen at the track next to us that is a mile and a half from us than from the one that is 3,000, you know, 3,000 miles away. It's about speed and to be and to use the right tools to make sure that you get information as quick and as fast as possible. Because when we are talking about, let's say, um, going to pit to, to hear, hey, you need to go and pit now and to provide that information and say, hey, we're suggesting that you pit at, you know, at the next lap, right? You know, you need to have that information very quick. And it's not only radio, think about it, the ways to communicate in, in the computer, right? In the past, you used to perhaps send something to email and, um, and a text. Now, with so many people sending texts at the track, text perhaps is not the right way to send a message anymore. You have to find ways. And that's what engineers are so amazing. You have a problem in front of you. How do you go and resolve to make it faster? And this is why groups, like I say, international, really, you know, this is how you learn, you know, tricks that perhaps you didn't know. Absolutely. That's well said. Engineers make the world go round. Engineers make the car drive. Engineers make the car go faster. Engineers make better performance. Engineers optimize the experience. Without engineers, there is no NASCAR at the end of the day. There, there, there is no racing. With what you said came into my mind, are you constantly thinking about how do we make this better? Is that constantly going through, through your mind? Yeah, we all do. We all do. I, I would say everybody here pretty much trying for that. How do you make something better? How do you make something better? Think about think about something. Um, if you committed, not committed an issue, if you had an issue, let's say you had an issue this Sunday at the track, you, you pretty much have to resolve that issue and make sure that you have tested and it's working because you have a race seven days later. In what... And put that against working on an OEM, right? It takes some time, right, to get to get to something. <laughs> but again, it's the nature. You know, I always said, I always said the OEMs. And when I talk about OEMs, let's be honest, I'm talking about the the car companies, right? That's that that's my background. Uh, you know, they they are production companies. We race teams are like prototype companies. But you you learn about something and you go and fix it because the next week the green flag is going to drop. So you are always looking at ways of how to make 
something better. And and it's a little bit of a short term and a long term. I was having a conversation with somebody about, hey, as soon as we get in the off season, we need to look, how do we make this tool work better? Perhaps extra development for when we go back the next week. And this engineer said, no, we need something for now. And I said, yes, that is true. But the whole development for tools, right? <laughs> some happen quick and some happen to, and don't, some others don't happen that quick. So you need to find the right balance and have the people that are being working on what is happening now, but others, perhaps what we call R&D, that are working on the future also. So, you know, it's, it's fascinating because you learn something new every, every weekend and it's about, okay, how do we, how do we get better? How do we get better? Because at the end of the day, let's be honest, let's think about something. You lose more in this sport than what you win. Think about it. It's not like a, like a basketball, basketball team, baseball, you know, you're only competing against one. We are competing against 39 more people. You lose more than what you win. So there's always an opportunity to do better. There's always opportunity to be better, and that's why you always have to focus on the future. What's a new emerging technology? C can I apply it to my team? How do I stay ahead? I'm really curious. We're, we're here on race day. How do you prepare? What is what is race day? Is there a set? I'll use the word standard. I know it's not a standard, but is there a set formula every race day? It's, it's the same routine, or does it vary from track to track, in environments, conditions? What does that look like? You know, and, and most of the most of the questions that you're asking me, the answers for all, all the points that you just said are yes. Okay. <laughs> meaning, okay, this is awesome. <laughs> no, no, meaning, meaning, meaning. We hmm, let's see, where were we? I you know, trying to remember all the tracks, you know, one moment. We're going to Texas. A mile and a half, that's more a downforce kind of track. Yes. The week after we are going to Talladega. That's more in a speedway kind of track. Bodies are a little bit different, the setups are a little bit a little bit different. Talladega, you need to run more with the pack. You cannot run by, by yourself. Make sure that you're all peeling at the same time. Texas is different a little bit. So you need to think a little bit different. And the specific race teams, the specific race teams, they are already several weeks in advance thinking about all of that. You have the mechanics and the ones that are building the car that are already building the car that is going to be used, let's say, in four weeks. Right. And you come with the aero department like, hey, there's a new way to do this. Let's try to apply this thing. So, yes, you have to be working, working in, in advance. But in a, in a regular weekend, all the race engineers and all the mechanics, they already have, let's say, a script of what has to what has to get done. And I think that by experience, you learn, hey, something happened. This is how you react and and so on. So you pretty much have your your routine. You pretty much have your your routine. And um, here, when we stay at the command center, we already know, hey, we are going to hype at this time. There are some some meetings. Everybody pretty much have their computers and everything ready. Okay, here are all my windows of everything that I can need and so on. I know who I need to call if something happened. So we're a little bit of creatures of habit, but at the same time, we know that if something changed, we can have all these calculations about fuel, believe me. Like this is when you need to pet and all that can, but if something changes, that's that's when that's that's really much. That's what I said. That's what you get paid, you get paid for, off right. For when things don't go the way they're supposed to go, how do you do it? Let me give you another quick example. We had a race some some months ago. Something happened at the track and the the power went off. 
the internet went off. The uh -oh. internet went, went off. And trust me, that was the first reaction. Uh-oh, what do I do? And so <laughs> I remember telling one of the young engineers, and, and I was being bad, you know. It's, some days you just get a little bit tired. But I remember telling him, and I said, do you know what is a paper, a pen, a paper, a pencil, and a calculator? Now let's calculate fuel the old way, right? We all learn in some way how to do it, right? We need to calculate the, the old way, and we need by stopwatches to get times. And um, it's just, well, for me, that was interesting because it's just a little bit like you get so used to computers that it's just like, uh-oh, we don't have it. In some way, people were winning races before computers, no? Yeah, you need a backup, and that you have to learn those skills because at some point, like you described, you might need them. But the common denominator is you have to work hard, and when you work hard, wonderful things happen. In April this year, you awarded the SAE International Rodata Barasco Award for Technical and Leadership Excellence. Well done. What did that award mean to you? Was that a accumulation of everything that you've done in your career? Um, <laughs> I remember when I got the the message, I didn't believe it. <laughs> I met Rodica, admire her, the first female that was president, right, of, of SAE International, uh, an inspiration and a role model for us. So um, I, I, I will tell you one thing. I, I do all these things because I'm passionate about it. Um, and I, I, love, I know myself, I don't think about awards. But when somebody has been watching and, and they want to recognize perhaps some of the things that you had do, you know, it, it's a huge honor and it's, it's a humbling experience. So um, it, it was very exciting. It was very, very exciting, but we need to use these awards to help the others coming after us. And that's something I'm very passionate about because and, um, we are all not going to be here uh, forever. There's other people that are going to be working on the race car, the other ones that are going to be working on developing the next, the, the next uh, um, technologies for EV cars, for smarter cities and, and all of that. So in bottom line, a huge, huge honor. But the first thing that I thought was about Rodica, you know, it was about, about, about her. I'm like, wow, that is, that is awesome. Did you think about Sally Ride, who you grew up idolizing, who you later in life you met when you received that award? Did that go through your mind as well? Absolutely, absolutely. 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 Because I hope so that she understands that she opened the doors for many people. She still inspires kids today. A nine-year-old daughter and the other day, and she was talking about Sally Ride. So the inspiration is going. And, and what you what you described is what Sally Ride did, what, what you did. You're, you're paving the way. So if there's an individual listening to this podcast that has a, a young child says, okay, they're really interested in motorsports. They've got their PlayStation set up and they, and they got the fan going because you got to have the fan. And they said they're interested in exploring a career in motorsports. What advice would you have for them? Okay. It depends on what career in motorsports do you want. But, but you know what? But summarizing, summarizing, you know, you want to learn more. Now you have the internet to learn more. Get to the track, get to the internet, get to the internet, come and visit us. We have had people, we have had people that come to the front door and they do not live until they leave the resume or talk to somebody. I am not kidding. And I, and I take at least 10 minutes to talk to that person because if that person had the courage to come and do that, they wanted that badly. Get an, an unpaid internship. 
whatever whatever it takes to get to the door. There's no one specific way of how to make these things to make these things happen. Shadow shadow somebody for a day, for a week. I I think that there are more possibilities now than in the past. Use them to your advantage. And believe me, there's people here, and I know that there's people in many other places that, that are passionate about developing the next generation. You just have to make that first move to do it. Show up. It's half the battle. The individual that's showing up at your door, they're not sitting there. Uh, I have a friend who uses a great term, a keyboard warrior, and sending out a mass email to 100 people. They're actually showing up and knocking on your door. So you spend the 10 minutes because that person had the cojones to show up and knock on the door. Hello, I'd like to drop my resume off. That, that goes a long way. It shows courage and it shows grit and it shows determination. And those are the people that you want to hire because on race day, when something goes wrong, they're going to roll their sleeves up because they took the opportunity and had the courage to knock on your door. In your opinion, Alba, what is the future of motorsports? Wow. <laughs> it can be many, 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 many things. You know, everybody's talking about EVs. Uh, about electrical perhaps they all you know and and hey formula e electrical series nobody ever thought about that happening but it doesn't it doesn't have to be all electrical what what i want to say is um if there's a problem somebody will going to find a solution so anything if anything is possible and perhaps there are things that haven't even that i haven't even think about it haven't think about it Whoever thought that we were going to be using a computer just to race a car. You know, how AI can affect this? I don't know. I know that machine learning, we are using a lot of machine learning in many of our tools to be able to, you know, to, to get faster and to, you know, analyze data. That that's, that's the whole deal. At the end of the day, it's about who analyzes data the, the faster, right? 20 minutes, who can analyze that data the faster? So the future is, is, Unbelievable. Autonomous, perhaps there's an autonomous autonomous vehicle. And this is where SAE International can help us to develop not only the technologies, but the standards and also the young students that are going to help us, you know, to look at all of that, that perhaps things that we haven't even think about. Inspiring a young child is a wonderful thing because you never know what they're going to come up with. And that young child will go on to change the world. At one point, Albert Einstein was a young child. Jeff Gordon was a young child. Henry Ford was a young child. And look at the impact that collectively that, that they've had. Alba, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today? Hmm. First of all, thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> I have been an SAE member uh, for as long, for many, many, many years. And I will tell you a couple of things. SAE is so important to me because the time that I have put on SAE. So if, if you want, you know, a, a group or, or somebody to help you, you have to invest, invest on that. SAE has helped me with network. SAE has helped me to understand new technologies. But bigger than, than all of this of, of SAE, the power of thinking different, of being different has also helped me and, and it has helped all these industries. Imagine if we had everybody thinking the same way none of these industries will will grow so they are to be different they are to be curious don't don't lose that because i think that that's very key to to be able to do to do all these jobs and and in my case if you want to do something like this you need to study education education is key 
but uh, go out there, go out there and dream big and, and, and go and find what you want. You have to go and do it. It will, many times it's not going to arrive to you. You have to go and pursue what you want. And believe me, you're going to see that there's a lot of people that want to, that want to help you. And once again, I, I am here because I took a chance on a solar car, but after that, I took a chance on a Formula SAE car, helped to found, uh, to be a founding member of my SAE, Formula SAE team in Puerto Rico. And many years later, you know, I had this career because SAE, because SAE helped me to get there. I would summarize this way, get involved, join SAE, think differently, roll up your sleeves and do it. Today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today. The future is inspiring the next generation. Alba, thank you so much for coming on the road. Uh, thank you so much for coming on SAE tomorrow today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And I look forward to seeing you at the track in person. And I can show you some of that internet, okay? <laughs> okay, you got a deal. I'll, I'll join there. I'll get to learn something new. How's that? You bet. And you will teach me all, something new also. <laughs> okay, you got a deal. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to SAE tomorrow today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, Please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.